So have you ever wondered why the Bible is so confusing to understand? Or why Genesis is at the beginning and Revelation is at the end? You ever been curious as to why there's a New Testament and an Old Testament? Or what does that even mean? Well, I'm sure these are all questions that some of us have all asked at some point. So that's what Bible school is all about. We're going to go through the Bible and we're going to talk about the semantics of the why, the how, and most importantly, the who. If you'll ride this out with me, we're going to go cover to cover through the Bible and dig deep and see the mysteries that God has revealed to us through this beautiful love letter that he calls his word. You've just tuned in to Bible School with Reverend Kojo. What's going on, good people? And I'm so glad you decided to join me here in Bible School today. We are in Revelation 13. We are moving and trucking right along uh, more than halfway through this book. Uh, we are we are in the thick of it. We're not playing patty cake anymore. We're in Revelation 13, and then we're gonna we're gonna deal with some interesting things today. You know, last couple of times we've been talking about Satan. Um, and we're going to continue along that vein and we're just unveiling more and more layers and we're going to, we're going to deal with the antichrist today. Um, and we're going to, we're going to kind of, um, unveil some of that stuff and, and talk about some of the controversies that's surrounding him. Now I want to go ahead and, and, and kind of, before we even get to the scripture, I want to deal with the term antichrist because I think a lot of us think that the antichrist is going to be this big guile nasty beast like thing. And, and the Bible often refers to him as a beast, but I think in our imagination, we, we imagine him as somebody we would never get in bed with somebody. We would never support somebody. We would never be persuaded by somebody that we would be able to see their even their evil coming. But the term antichrist, the anti in the Latin is actually not, um, the opposite of, it's actually a mockery or a mimicry or the, the closest uh, trying to look like he's a knockoff of Christ. That's really probably what we should call him. We should call him the knockoff of Christ. Um, and, and so that term antichrist is actually kind of similar to that. They're saying that the Pope wears on his thing that says vicar of Christ, which is uh, in place of Christ, or, or he tries to build himself as such. Uh, but I want you to see that the Antichrist is, is not going to come as this world leader that looks like Hitler. He's not going to look like Saddam Hussein. He's not going to look like uh, the worst that we could ever imagine. He's going to look like somebody you might vote for. He's going to look like somebody that you would think would be uh, reasonable, somebody that you may want to follow, somebody who is relatable, somebody who seems like he's going to make things better, that he's going to talk about hope and, and things like that. And the reality is that he's not going to, he's going to be divorced from hope because a world without God is a world that does not have hope, but he's going to build it as such that he can bring hope, that he can bring restoration. And really he's going to lead them into the destruction uh, that their sin has been crying for. I want us to also deal with this idea that the Antichrist is likely two people um, that, you know, one of the major controversies is this guy Jew or is he Gentile? Um, and there are over 33 titles that allude to this guy. Uh, but well, I think we're going to unveil today that there is, there's going to be a type of a Jew and a type of a Gentile um, that's going to kind of open up our eyes as to who this guy is. What, what, what is his goal? Uh, why is he, why is he what he is? Um, and, and, and all of that good stuff. Now, I want you to see that. And I want you to also want to point this out before we dive into the scripture that ironically, John uses the term antichrist in his epistles, but he never uses it in revelation. He usually refers to him as the beast, um, the dragon, which is Satan. Um, he, they use all of these different titles, but they actually don't use the term antichrist. And we've just associated that this guy is the antichrist, um, by way of, unveiling all the things that are, are similar. Um, so with all of that understood, I also want you to remember, uh, that we've, we've got some characters that we we've got here. Um, and we are, I want you to remember, remember the woman is the type of Israel, that the man child is a type of Jesus, that the red dragon is Satan, that Michael, the archangel is Michael, the archangel. <laughs> um, uh, and that Israel itself makes itself and that, that leaves us two more to make seven. And we're going to kind of dig into that today. Now, 
fasten your seatbelts. We're about to hit the scriptures. Um, and we're going to unveil what God is saying to us here in chapter 13. All right, let's start reading. Verse 1. And I stood unto, upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, say, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name blasphemy. Now, I want you to notice this, that the word beast occurs 36 times in Revelation uh, 36 times or six square. Um, and that's, I think that's just a type of, 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 um, of humanity. You know, six is the number of humanity. We know that the devil, the beast seal is going to be six, six, six. Um, I, I just find it very ironic. I want you to notice God does nothing unintentionally. Everything has purpose. Everything fits, um, so that it will point, uh, back to where it's supposed to point. So I just want you to notice that. I want you to also notice that he's seen coming out of the sea. The sea often represents as an idiom for the nations in Old Testament prophecy. In contrast to the second beast that's going to come about out of the earth, which is going to be often idiomatic of Israel. Um, and so I want you to just notice, notice the cues and the clues. Now, I also want you to remember back in chapter 11, around verse 7, uh, the beast comes out of the bottomless pit to make war with them and to overcome them. Remember that? Uh, and then he ascends out of the abusos, um, and, and remember that that tells us that he's demonically driven. He's not just demonically influenced, but he is demonically uh, possessed. He's Satan indwells him. Now, as Christians, we brag about the fact that the Holy Spirit indwells us, that he leads us and that he comforts us and he walks with us. And we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We brag about that. That is one of our trademarks. We know that we are indeed saved. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit walks with us and he talks with us. Can you imagine the opposite? You know, oh, what peace we forfeit because we don't take it to the Lord. We we, we are given peace, peace and in the presence of the Lord, there is joy um, and there are pleasures forevermore. We we have all of these benefits from having the Holy Spirit. We when, when we have the Holy Spirit, we get the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So then we learn how to love and we learn love to have have joy and peace and patience and and goodness and kindness and gentleness and and all of these things that we get as a benefit of the Holy Spirit. But do you remember what the antithesis of, of that was? It came before the, the fruit of the Spirit. It taught us about the, 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 the things that come with the, the devil. Can you imagine the, the devil indwelling you? You know, our humanity in, in its corrupt state by itself is, all, is, is scary. You know, things that we do, you know, even Paul speaks of it. He says, I, I sin, but I don't want to sin. I do things, but I, I don't want to do them. Um, but can you imagine, but he's only, Paul was only demonically influenced like we are. Can you imagine when Satan is the one ruling on the inside? Oh, how blessed we are to have the Holy Spirit ruling on the inside. Okay. Um, now I want you to notice that the crowns are on the horns and not on his head. Okay. Uh, the crowns are, are on the authority, not the king horns, uh, represent the authority the authority, these are, this is not a king's crowns that are on this beast. These, these crowns that are on him are of the authority, okay? Now, he's got seven heads and ten thorns, okay? When we tend to study Daniel 2 and 7, um, because we see Gentile history laid out. Now, I'm going to show you what this all means in just a second. Travel with me to Daniel 7, okay? When we get to Daniel 7, let's go to verse 8. We're going to find these words. He's going to say, I considered the horns. And behold, there came up upon among them another little horn, before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of man, and a mouth speaking great things. I want you to I want you to put a pin in this really quickly, and I promise I'm going to explain the horns and the crowns and all of that stuff in just a second. But one of the things about the Antichrist is he's going to be able to woo you. He's going to have the words to captivate you. He's going to have all of the things to draw you in. You know, they, when we go back through history and they talk about Hitler, they say that Hitler could rouse a crowd in ways that he had speaking patience. And some of the things that he did would captivate the masses in such a way that demanded their attention and it demanded their, uh, their reverence which is a dangerous word, but demanded their reverence. I want you to notice 
that the Antichrist is he's going to be a mouth speaking great things. He's going to be able to woo them. He is going to be a captivating speaker. He's not going to be Joe Blow. He's not going to be ignorant. And he probably will not be perceived as an embarrassment. Which, you know, as much as some of us are upset with what goes on in Washington, that tells us that he's probably not the Antichrist. <laughs> uh, but moving, moving right along, I want you to notice that we're going to keep reading in Daniel because we, I want to I want to pull a couple of other things. Verse 15, it says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all of this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of things. These great beasts, which are four and four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the most high shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces and stamped the the residue with his feet. And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before them three fell. Mm. Even of that horn that had eyes, and a mouth that spake very great things. There's that mouth again. Whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints, and prevailed against them. Now. I want us to see really quickly that this, these not all saints are of the church. Okay. Remember the 144,000 and the fruit of the 144,000? Not all saints are of the church. I just hold on to that really quickly. Let's keep reading verse 23. And we're still in Daniel. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the Ten horns out of the kingdom are the ten kings that shall arise, and another shall after them, and shall be diverse, be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out of the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand unto the time and times. And dividing of times. Now, you see that the times, the time, the times, and dividing times. That tells us what period they're in. That's the 70th week of Daniel. That's that half a week that we're talking about. That second half of the tribulation period. That tells us what they're what they're referencing. So we're referencing the period we're talking about in Revelation 13. Okay, that's the first thing. Now I want you to see this. The seven heads with the ten thorns, okay. He conquered three nations. The heads are gone, okay? Conquer. Whenever they conquered in, in old days of old, they would go get the head of the king and they would conquer it. We saw it in Shakespeare's plays, Shakespeare's plays. We saw it in the days of Caesar. We saw it in the days of Nero. Whenever they conquered, they wanted to conquer the king so that there would not be a revolt and, and, and the, a coup made by the people that they were conquering. So this beast that occurs represents the world at the time Satan because Satan is the prince of the world okay and since he's the prince of the world it's suggesting that he originally had 10 heads okay that's why he had 10 crowns but because three of the nations fell because Satan conquers three of the nations three of those heads are missing okay they're missing now the horns are still there. The authority that Satan has in this in this season is still there, but the heads are gone because the nations have fallen. All right. We're in a heinous time. We're not we're not in a time that is uh glamorous. We're not in a time that a lot of us are going to like. Well, I don't plan on being there. But but we're not in a time that's glamorous. We're not in a time that is diplomatic. We're in a time of brute force. We're in a time where wars and rumors of wars are not being heard. We're not hearing about rumors, but we're hearing about wars. Okay. And the earth, uh, the dwellers on the earth, the people who inhabit the earth, the people who are far from God are wreaking havoc at this point on one another. All right. Let's move on to verse two. We're still, we're in revelation back in revelation verse two. And the beast, which I saw was like unto a leopard. His feet were the feet of a bear and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat 
and great authority. Now, those three idioms are the same that Daniel used, but the order is backward. Okay. Remember that the dragon is Satan and he's empowering them. So these are the same idioms that he uses. Um, the lion, the bear, and the leopard. He's, he's, he, he, he's using the same idioms, but they're, they're in reverse order. Now, I would suggest that they're in reverse order because uh, Daniel was looking at this from a different perspective than we're reading about it in the Revelation, okay? Daniel was looking to future. Where he's here in the Revelation. We're looking, we're looking backward, although both of them are future, but I want you to look at the perspectives. Daniel's looking at it from earth. Uh, 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 John is looking at it from heaven. So I want you to just, just think of it like that. that. That may be ironic. That might just be conjecture, and maybe I just kind of pull that. But that's just kind of what I'm thinking at this moment. Verse 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. All right. And I saw one of his heads as if it were wounded and his deadly wound was healed and all the world wondered after the beast. Now throughout scripture, kings and kingdoms are used as synonyms. Is the beast a person or an organization? And I would I would as, as assert that it's probably both. Okay, he may he may not be really killed. He may be another counterfeit because at some point we're going to see he's he's he had a deadly wound. He was wounded unto death, and his deadly wound was healed. So that means that he like he he made some type of resurrection, as if he were Christ. There he is ripping off the story of Christ again. He's trying to paint himself as messianic. He's painting himself as savior of the world. He's painting himself as something that has power and authority like God. Okay. So he has this wound. He had this wound on his head. Um, it was a wounded. He was wounded to death. So he dies and his deadly wound was healed. That, that would insinuate that he rises again. Um, and the whole world was amazed by this guy. Because they're not used to the supernatural or we, we, we don't like to entertain the supernatural. We like to say that, you know, science and the supernatural can't coexist. And so the world, the people who, who rejected God, who rejected Jesus, who rejected the truth about him are going to be amazed by this guy. And so he's, he's probably going to pay play to their, um, their ideas and, 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 and amaze them in a way that they, they didn't quite see coming. All right. Now, but like I said, is, is this the beast? Is he a person or is he an organization? Now, I want you to, to notice that often kings and kingdoms in the Bible are used synonymously. And so when we talk about Caesar, we also mention the Caesarean cross and the Roman Empire. And when we talk about Caesar, Caesar and his policies are made synonymous. So I think that he is going to represent what he runs. Okay. And so the laws that he enacts, the things that he, he opens up, the way that he unifies that one world government, all of that stuff, I think is all going to be up under this, this beast, this antichrist. I also want you to notice that this, this head wound that it was unto death and then it was quote unquote healed. I want you to notice that it's going to become important to his identity. Okay, it's going to become important to his identity. Um, I would even assert that that's going to probably be the reason that people take the mark on their head is because they're trying to be like this leader that they're idolizing, this leader that they're worshiping, this leader that they have they have made their little God, um, and in their minds probably their big God, but their little God. Um, and so I want you to see that. I want you to notice that. Hold on to that as we move on and and through this because his head wound. I'm I'm really inclined to believe that he's going to fake a resurrection or maybe God gives him the power of life and death. I don't, I don't know. I know God is allowing all of this stuff to happen on the earth. And so how it happens, I'm not entirely sure, but we know that it does. All right. Verse four. And they worship the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worship the beast saying, who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him. Now, Remember, the beast comes out of the abusos. He's demonically driven. And so this is not just political. All right. This is not just political. This is spiritual. These folks are worshiping Satan. They are worshiping Satan and they are all in. This is not just some stuff where they are not aware. These folk are bowing down, adoring this evil figure because they have been deluded. They have been tricked and hoodwinked and they think that this is good. But I, I'm inclined to believe that 
Because in my lifetime, I've watched this reverence for God decrease. And as I've watched this reverence for God decrease, I've noticed that people are looking for a solution to life's answers everywhere but in God. But in Christ, they don't, they want it. They want to find it everywhere, but in the arms and in, in the, in the loving arms of Christ everywhere. They want to find it everywhere, but on Calvary's cross, they want to find it everywhere, but in an empty tomb, they're looking for life's answers. And so now that this guy is presenting an answer, even though false, even though it is, it is an act, even though he is the wizard of Oz, what they, what, what we see is that the people are going to treat him like we're supposed to treat God. Okay. In, in, a, in a couple of episodes, we're going to talk about how that, how, how God comes back and he has John ask the question, who wouldn't worship a God like this? He comes back and he asks the question, who wouldn't fear him? He's clothed with majesty. He's clothed with dignity. He's clothed with power. Who wouldn't worship him? We sing a song in church way too much. And the song says, who wouldn't serve a God like this? Now, of course, we're talking about Jesus. Of course, our focus is on Jesus, but they have now flipped the script and they're worshiping this beast, this Satan, this, this dragon in such a way that mimics the way that we worship God. And then they have so much confidence in him. They say, who would be able to make war with them? Remember, these are people who have been denying the, the existence and the deity and the power of Christ from Jump Street. These are people who do not understand his sovereignty or his majesty. These are people who, who are not inclined to worship God in spirit and in truth. And because they, their minds have been so hardened, their hearts have been so hardened and they have been far from him because they have been so out of, out of whack with him because they've been so off of kilter. These folks have begun to worship Satan. And I want you to remember that this is not just political. He's going to be the coming world leader. He's going to rule the world. And although he's going to rule the world, it's not just going to be politics, which as an American, that's kind of hard to understand in some ways, even though our politics are kind of sort of religiously driven, even though church and state are supposed to be separate. But this is not just politics. These folks are giving their souls to the devil. Okay. Verse five. And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. And power was given unto him 42 months. There we go again. We see that mouth again. And he's speaking great things and blasphemies. But I guarantee that the people can't tell the difference between the great things and the blasphemies. And so they're probably praising him for the blasphemies and praising him for the great things. He's, he's making big grandiose promises. He's rousing the crowds. The people are believing in him. They are seeing hope in a place where the man has no authority to give hope. Okay. He's convincing them. It's a lot like Jim Jones. If you're not familiar, Jim Jones was a guy who got all these people together and he was, people were treating him like he was God and he moved them out of the country. He goes to his ranch. And then when he's about to get caught, he, he gives them all this Kool-Aid that kills them all. And they all drank the Kool-Aid and died. He's teaching them things that are going to lead them to destruction, that are going to lead them to death. And as he's teaching them things that are going to lead them to destruction, lead them to death, he, they're, they're eating it up. Now I want you to notice again, not only is that mouth there, but the 42 months again, that's the half week. You know, when we see a time times and dividing of times, when we see 42 months, when we see, um, when we, when we see those, those, um, that half a week, when we see all those things that we we're seeing this period again, it's telling us where we are. We're in the end in the last half of the, of the tribulation period. Okay. Not only are we in the last half of the tribulation period. Um, I want you to also notice that that is the most documented period of time in the Bible. All right. That period of time. And I, and my, my ass assertion is because he's trying to warn us and prepare us for what is to come. Don't get left there. In other words, do not, don't fall prey. Don't fall to that. Don't get stuck. Now, I want us to also see this is that because God is, is painting this picture, men will be, will be without excuse. 
they will be without excuse. It'll kind of be like Revelation. I'm not right. Revelation. Roman 1. And he said that they knew the truth about God, but they refused to worship him as God. And for that cause, he turned them over. This is exactly what we're seeing right here. For that cause, he turns them over. And so they're going, they're about, they're experiencing, they're getting what they want. They begged for a world leader. Mm, sounds like Israel. They begged for a king. They begged for a world leader. They wanted a war without God and they got it. Man, that's, that's eerie and scary and gunky and gross. All right. Moving right along. Moving right along. Oh, boy. Verse six. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme, blaspheme his name, his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. Now this is the blasphemy of blasphemy. Blasphemy of blasphemies is when he's about to set up his image in the holies of holies in the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem. They call that the abomination desolation. But so he's, he's not only going to blaspheme the name and, and make lies about God, but he's going to put his play, his face in the holies of holies. Remember I told you in order for these things to happen, that the te the temple has to be built in uh, Jerusalem. That's, that's one of the things that precedes um, the judgment of, of the earth. And so, but he's, he's going to blaspheme the name of God. Now, you know, the only thing above his name is his word. So he's going to blaspheme the name of God. Y'all know that's like one of the unforgivable sins. He's going to blaspheme the name of God. He's going to blaspheme his tabernacle and then them that dwell in heaven. So he's going to even have our names in his mouth. You know, that's crazy. That's crazy. Now, the abomination of desolation, that happened also in 167 B.C. All right. Two centuries later, Jesus alludes to it in his Olivet Discourse. If this the very thing that we're talking about in verse 6 is going to happen again. Now, the abomination of desolation is a specific event, but it's yet to happen. So they talk about it, it happening in, in um, 167 BC, but that's not as bad as it's going to be. What they're talking about is going to be an extremely heinous, nasty, you know, one of those things where the entire face of God turns. All right. Now, like I said, I can I just say for a second that it, it's kind of crazy to me that we're going to be removed from the earth, but he's going to talk about us. We're going to be removed from the earth and he's going to have to mention those who are in heaven. But you know, the good news is that we're going to be in heaven. So he can't talk. He can, he can talk about us, but he can't touch us. Moving right along verse seven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. Okay. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. He's going to rule the whole world. Okay. He's going to rule the whole world. And that particular, this particular verse is, 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 is alluded to all throughout Daniel and, and in Revelation 11. Now on the church, Matthew 11, let's go to Matthew 11 really quick. All right. And we're going to start at verse 11. He says, verily I say unto you, among them that are born out of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. Notwithstanding, he that in the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. All right. So he said he's given to him to make war with the saints and overcome them. And power was given to him all kindreds and tongues and nations. And of the church, I want you to see that we're watching a shift happen. Because in, in Jesus, when Jesus was here, he was walking on the earth. He said he makes this, this assertion. He says that nobody has has walked the earth greater than John the Baptist. I think, of course, he's he's not talking about himself. But then he's saying that at this point, at this point, even though when you are covered in my blood, now we're standing that he's saying he's saying everyone, even the least in the kingdom of heaven, is greater than him. That's why Satan has you on his tongue. All right. That's why he feels it, even though you're removed and you're not even there, he feels it necessary because he says, in the, in the light of the blood, covered by the blood, even the least of them, the rangers, rankest sinner, the sinner that you, you, you didn't think would have ever made it to heaven, even the least of them in heaven is greater than he. Now, I believe John the Baptist is covered by the blood. I believe John the Baptist is in heaven, I, all that good stuff, because he preached and proclaimed Jesus before Jesus walked. That, that is my, that's my belief, right? But I'm going to say this to you. He 
found it necessary to make mention of you because you being covered in the blood makes you better than him. Okay. In your broken state, not so much, but he, that's why he made mention. He needed to make mention of you. Let's, let's move on. Let's move on. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose name are not written in the book of the life of the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Now I want you to notice that, that I know we seem to have a problem with atheists and agnostics here on earth, but I want you to understand that in this period, there ain't, there are no atheists. There are no agnostics. Either you are worshiping Christ or you are worshiping the beast. There is no, I don't believe in deity. There is no, I don't believe in God. There is none of that because even in your atheism or in your agnosticism, you're, you're worshiping the beast. And so that, that, that whole idea, he says, all that dwell on the earth will worship him. Okay. Everybody, everybody who has tabernacled with the earth, everybody who has rejected Christ will worship the devil, the devil, the antichrist. This is not a period of, of science. This is not a period that, that, that we look to, uh, we're looking to alternatives. Either you're worshiping Satan or you're worshiping God, period. Now, I also want you to remember that this word dwell. So it says all that dwell upon the earth means embedded in or tabernacled with. Now, remember that in our salvation, we're tabernacled with Christ. All right. Uh, that's why that's why when when we that's why I keep telling you, you need to study the tabernacle. Uh, but in our in our Christianity, we are tabernacled with Christ. We are embedded with we are wrapped up and wrapped in with we are uh, made one with. Okay. Now, so this dwelling, those who dwell is not who have a physical being. We're not, it's not us. Okay. It's not the Christian, uh, to be dwellers on the earth at this point in this chapter, when we see the word dwell, where we're talking about embedded in, or that's your way of living. You are a part of it. It is a part of you. Um, all of that good stuff. Okay. Hope we understand that verse nine. And, and when I read verse nine, you need, this needs to ring loud in your ears. It, it, sh it should make all the light bulbs go off. You should be making parallels. Verse nine, if any man have an ear, let him hear. Y'all remember that all throughout the seven letters, we see him say that at the end of the letter, if any man have an ear, let him hear. All right. He says, if any man have an ear, let him hear. And you know, that's usually he's getting ready to say something that could provide hope. Right. Um, but let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. Let's move on. Verse 10. And he that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. And he that killeth with a sword must be killed by the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. And I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had tooth horns like a lamb. And he spake as a dragon. He that leadeth into captivity shall go into captivity. And he that killeth with a sword must be killed by the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. We're, we're not living in the grace period. Okay. We're not, we're not talking about the gospel of the grace. We're not talking about a merciful God. We're not talking when he's, you know, he's very much so merciful, but we're not talking about, he's saying this is, and we have returned to an eye for an eye. And so he that leads into captivity is going to go into captivity. He that kills the sword is going to be killed by the sword. Then we're back in that period. And then he says, I beheld another beast coming out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb and he spake as a dragon. There again, we got that. He looks like Jesus, but he sounds like Satan. All right. And I think that's a message for you today, even though we're not in that period at this moment, that when it looks like Jesus, but it sounds like Satan, you need to trust what you hear. All right. There, the Satan is the master of disguise. He likes to delude you and to persuade you into believing something that is not true. He is, he is good at making you believe things that God never said. He's good at making you con convincing you that you have it wrong. He's good at convincing you that God is, is not on your side, but I'm here to tell you. All right. I'm here to make sure that you understand that if it looks like Jesus and it sounds like Satan it's probably Satan. All right. Try the spirit by the word. All right. This guy is a false prophet, obviously. And I want you to refer to it that he's the beast and the first prophet. All right. Okay. Let's, he's, 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 he's the beast and the false prophet. I'm sorry. The false prophet at first. He's a beast and a false prophet. But understand that, that he looked like Jesus, but he sounded like Satan. How many times does something look good, but it caught you up? How many times have we got caught up in something that, that looked 
it looked delectable, but it really was bad for us. You know, sometimes it's food, but a lot of times it's relationship. It's who are we tabernacling with? Who are we mingling our souls with? Who are we spending time with? Who are we making our residence with? Who is it? What is it? Because sometimes it'll look like healing and it'll be Satan. You know, to me, that's kind of how I feel about yoga. And you can have your own opinions. But yoga, several world religions believe that, you know, well, several believe that it's, it's an it's a an op- way to get into this, the darker spiritual realm. But we they're billing it now as something that... Um, We'll just relax you. It's just stretching. But it's pagan worship. That's what it is. That's what yoga is. It's pagan worship. But we've become so comfortable with things that are not like God. We've become so used to things that are not like God. And and because it seems harmless, it seems harmless. And because it seems harmless, oh, it won't kill me to do yoga. When we're inviting a portal to that world. Now, I'm going to leave that alone. Because there's a lot of folks that don't believe me. But I'm just I'm throwing that out there. All right, verse 12. Oh, no, no, I still got to deal with this. Not only, not only does, does he, is he the false prophet, not only is he, he sound, look like Jesus, he sounds like he's uh, Satan, but this is the second beast. This is another beast coming out of the earth. Now, we were dealing with this idea um, about a Gentile and a, um, a Gentile and a Jew. I think right now we're seeing we're seeing another type come out of here. We're gonna deal with it in a minute on who is who, but I want you to keep that in in, the, in your mind that we did one came out of the water and one came out of the um, the earth. All right, the earth, him coming out of the earth that's a type of Israel. Them coming out of the water that's a type of the Gentiles. All right, verse twelve, and he exerciseth all the power of the first beast before him and causeth the earth. And them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. The first guy is political, okay? He exercises all power of the first beast before him. All right, so the first guy is, is political. The second guy is a religious leader, all right? The second guy is a religious leader. He's coming up out of the earth. He's a religious leader. Uh, and he, he's, he's, he's making this, this, um, this this image. Now I want you to notice this. The first guy's political, the second guy's religious a religious leader, and here comes Satan with his ripoff again. Because we see the birth of the satanic trinity. Now we know that it was a God God thing to do that tri- tri- that trinity thing in the beginning. You know, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Here we see that the dragon, Satan, and the political beast and the religious beast, or the beast that came out of the water and the beast that came out of the earth. Here we go, we see this satanic trinity born. He is the master of the ripoff. The master of the ripoff. I, I I want you to see this, that he is always never the antithesis. He tries to be as close to God as possible because his, his initial thing was he, when he fell, he, his, his sin initially was that he wanted to be like God. It wasn't that he wanted to be the opposite. It wasn't that he wanted to destroy God. He wanted to be like God. And so what does he do? He builds his kingdom to look as much like God as possible, but he could not be God because he didn't have the heart of God. And he wasn't God, period. All right, verse 13. And he does great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. And it kind of seems like he's mimicking the miracles from the witnesses from chapter 11. All right. It looks like he's mimicking them. Remember, they, one, of the, one of them could bring down fire from heaven. And the men on the earth are watching it, but they, they rejected it in the, in the witnesses, but they're embracing it in the sight of the beast. Okay, you see that? This is exactly what happened in Exodus 7 with Pharaoh's priests after he did after Moses. Y'all remember that? Remember Pharaoh goes, I mean, Moses goes before Pharaoh and Pharaoh's priests begin to do some things. And see, a lot of times I think we believe that what happened in, in Egypt, uh, that they, they did some kind of parlor tricks. This, the demonic has power. They just don't have the same amount of power that God. Remember that the demonic were angels. God created them to be supernatural beings. They have abilities because they are indeed spirits and they have the ability to do things, to do uh, miracles and all such, right? But I want you to notice this. Let's travel to 2 Timothy 3.8. Okay, let's travel to 2 Timothy because I want you to see this. It says, now as Jonathan and Jambres without withstood Moses, so do these resist the truth. 
men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith, they, but they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall manifest unto all men as theirs also was. Remember, they, all, they had powers of darkness, y'all. Moses only really just exposed how much more power God has. They, they were able, when Moses put the stick on the ground and it turned to a snake, they were able to do the, to do the, uh, do the same thing. They were able to do, to do the same thing. The difference in the sovereignty of God was that Moses' snake, that, well, stick-turned snake, was able to devour the other two, which I believe is a type of what we're about to see unfold here in the next few chapters, because it's not that Satan don't have power it's he don't have the same power as God. He got so stuck up in his pride that he didn't realize who he was and that he was not God. And that although God made him to be this beautiful creature, God made him to have power and all of these things. He does not have the authority that God does. Simple. Okay. Now I want you to remember though, that it was prophet, it, it was prophecy, not miracles, that proved Jesus Jesus's deity when he walked the earth. Because Jesus, he when he walks the earth, he does miracles. But it was the prophecy that was confirmed that told us that it was him. There have been many, you know, Simon Simon the sorcerer was able to do stuff. Simon the sorcerer had power. John and Jambres had the power to do the, the powers of darkness. You know, witches go and cast spells. And make supernatural things happen. It is the power and the prophecy that matched that proved us that, that Jesus was Lord. Now, how does that help you today? Because I believe in the Bible, it, it ought to help you today. How does that help you today? I want you to notice that when somebody has the power to do something that it seems supernatural or to see something, or I'll even give you this example. Um, there was a young girl uh, here a couple of weeks last week or a week before last that, uh, she was three years old. She was kidnapped in Birmingham and it, it, it tore the city up. Like we, it just was not a good thing. Um, and somebody had a psychic reading on the little girl and they said the little girl would be dead. And so then all these people were talking about, well, how did, how did a psychic have power? The, the psychics can see into the, they can see into the soulless realm, but I need you to understand that although they can see into the realm or they have some power, their power will never supersede that of the name Jesus. Okay. They will, it will never, it will never supersede that. It will never supersede it because it doesn't have the authority. He does Jesus, the God of heaven, the Holy spirit have the trump card on the powers of darkness period. And that's what we're watching on, on, unroll or pan out over time. All right. Verse 14, and deceive them that dwell on the earth, see, by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, see, <laughs> saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by the sword and did live. So the second beast is doing miracles. I told you one was political and the other was religious. The second beast is doing miracles. And so some suspect that this rule is the benefit of alien connection. Okay. Is that my belief? Not necessarily. Uh, but some believe that this, that this rule is going to be by the benefit of alien connection. There are some scholars, some well-meaning scholars, some well-studied scholars, but that's their belief. That's not my conviction. Okay. I could be wrong because I, I am not God and I am not infallible. Um, but it is, that is not my conviction. Now there, I, I know some people, some people that I actually care for and love and, and will, and do discuss Bible with hold that view that there, there's going to be some alien connection or some extraterrestrial stuff going on. It's just not my conviction. Okay. And so I haven't, that's just not what I believe now. Some now, and those same people suspect that the packaging of Satan's deceit has a lot to do with the text, the technology of the extraterrestrial so that it, that they believe that it has a lot to do with the things that uh that other life forms and other places have the ability to do that we can't do something like a sci-fi film again that's not my conviction um now i could be wrong but it don't really matter because i don't plan on being here but you know i don't know a whole lot about the alien thing <laughs> but i have noticed this and, and I, I do want to point this out because i do think you need to be weary of the occult 
and you just stay away from it. And that's just my, my, my belief. But I have noticed that people who claim to have had experiences with UFOs and aliens have all had run-ins and experiences with the alcohol. They, you know, maybe they went to Burning Man. Maybe they, uh, did yoga. Maybe they were really heavy into the Zodiac. They, they had some kind of run in with the alcohol. They, they, they were, they were into that dark spiritual realm and didn't realize, either did realize or didn't realize what they were doing. And so all the people that I've noticed have these claims to having these run-ins, I've noticed they have had demonic interactions. Now, so whether they believe, whether that alien thing is a thing or, or not, I don't know. I know whatever it is, it, it's, it's on a spiritual realm that I am yet to tap into. And I don't really know that I care to, <laughs> uh, but that's, that's just me. That's my, that's me. Um, but I'm gonna say this when it comes to the occult and dark things and all of these experiences with aliens and UFOs, I just want you to understand this, that even though all of them are not connected and everything is not Buddhist and everything is not, uh, Hindi and everything is not, um, uh, sadist and all of this stuff, all of them have, have the same message that they are anti-biblical. And I want you to look at that as you start looking at world affairs. Um, I don't really care what political side you stand on, but I want you to notice when things become anti-biblical, when, when, when the Bible is disregarded, when people are anti-Jesus, anti-Christ, anti-biblical um, view, your, your eyes, your ears, and your nose, not your nose, but your ears and your eyes need to come alive. And you need to begin to, and to look at you like, oh, well, that sounds nice. It sounds sweet. Sounds like the spirit of the Antichrist to me. All right, when we start becoming anti-biblical, but we start labeling things good, if it ain't God, it ain't good, okay? And I don't say that to be like a holy roller. I say it to this, that in the God God in his essence is good. The opposite of God, the opposite of that is not good. It's not God. It's not, it's not him. It's not of his nature. And so things that are contrast to his nature at the core cannot be good. They may be looking good. Okay. Remember, we're talking about this antichrist. They may look good. They may be attractive. You know, that's kind of like how I feel about yoga. Yoga looks good. If your back stops hurting, that looks good. Um, but when, when you start realizing that you've been doing poses to these various uh, demons and, and gods and you thought that you were just stretching and you've, you've begun to learn how to do things that have allowed other powers in your life, what looked good had a nasty core. And that's just the only point I want to make, okay? Now, I also want you to notice 14, verse 14. Here is that wound again. That wound is made is, 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 is back again, okay? There, that the which you know that that wound, um, they're talking about. I think that that's it's gonna really be it's really becoming part of his identity. Something about that wound speaks volumes, which, um, for some reason just keeps making me think about Harry Potter. And and I don't I'm not trying to relate Harry Potter to Revelation because I don't know enough about Harry Potter. I like I might have watched one movie and I don't even think I watched the whole thing, but it just kind of takes me back to there. All right, moving moving right along. Verse fifteen. And he had the power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, this is the reason that, that people see Daniel 3 as a foreshadowing of the end time. Okay. All right. Think about that. Now, do you remember when Daniel uh, and his friends refused to worship after da Daniel saved the day? Y'all remember that? You know, y'all know Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, 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 we got a couple of, we got a little extra time. Let's go on over to Daniel 3. Let's start reading at verse 5. And we'll, we'll read the story. And, you know, we're going to give a little, let's, let's bring it back. Now, verse 5. That at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar, the king hath set up. And whoso falleth not down and worship shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, at that time, when all the peoples heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the, the sackbut, the psaltery, and all types of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages, huh? Do y'all notice that? Fell down and worshiped the golden image of Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and, near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. 
Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and the dulcimer, all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and, and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Meshadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image that thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, It is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if ye be ready at that at what time you hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, and the dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Who is that God has that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to enter thee in this manner. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury and form of his visage, and was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more that it won't to be heated. And he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. The, then these men were bound in their coats, their hosen, their hats, and of their other garments and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace, it was exceeding hot. The flames of fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, fell down bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Then Nebuchadnezzar, was the king, was astonished, rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. And he answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fire furnace and spoke and said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth in the midst of the fire. And the princes, governors, and captains of the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men upon whose bodies had fire had no power, nor was a hair on their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire passed on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who hath sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him, and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they may not serve nor worship any God except their own. Therefore, I make a decree that every people, nation, and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut into pieces, and their houses shall be made a dunghill, because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the providence of Babylon. Now, that story... That story is full of power, it's full of types, it's full of imagery, it's full of even a Christophany. Um, and what's amazing to me is that Daniel 4, now this is Daniel 3, Daniel 4 was actually written by Nebuchadnezzar. And it was a testimony posted throughout the entire world. It was mailed out everywhere about how he came to know the God of Daniel, how Nebuchadnezzar came to serve God. Nebuchadnezzar, God who wanted people to worship him. A guy who solicited the praises of his people, this, this dictator, this world dictator had sent out through the world about how his heart was changed because he had an experience with God. Now, although Nebuchadnezzar changes and although he, he shifts and although he um, has this, this, this shift before his shift, he was idiomatic of the world leader. He wanted the people to worship him. 
He wanted to be bowed down and adored. He wanted, he, if you didn't worship him, he would put you to death. And this is the kind of time we're living in, in Revelation 13. This is what they're experiencing at this time. If you're not worshiping this beast, if you're not worshiping him in, in, in all of your might and with all of your being, he, as far as he's concerned, you are to be put to death. You're, he, he's forcing worship under the penalty of death. If you don't bow to me, your head is mine. Okay. Now, but this, he's, he's idiomatic of this world leader. And the image he, I want you to notice that he builds is a clear that you can see this roll of sixes, the six cubits wide and the 60 cubits tall. Okay. He, I mean, he's, he's, he, we, we see Satan's fingerprints all over it. All right. And then, you know, this fire is idiomatic of the fire of the world judgment or the tribulation that's going to happen. Remember, you got those 444,000. Okay. I think those Hebrew boys that are in the fire are, that are preserved through the fire are a type of those 144,000 during the, the tribulation. Remember that they're sealed supernaturally. Now they're still on the earth. They're still around, but they're sealed. They're protected somehow. They're going to, they're going to come out as if nothing happened to them. Just like the 144,000. Okay. Now I, I think, you know, that fire is, is idiomatic of the world judgment or the tribulation, but I want to ask the question, where is Daniel? Now, these are Daniel's friends. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are his friends. Daniel is a little bit above them because Daniel interprets the dream just just, just like a, a chapter earlier. He interprets this dream, or was it two chapters earlier? Um, but where is Daniel? You know, we always hear about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but but Daniel came with them. All right? And and I think that Daniel was likely more senior because he's the one that, 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 um, that interpreted the dream. And... And so I would assume that he was probably tending to an affair of the state. Okay. Cause I don't think he bowed. You know, you ask the question, did he bow down? I don't think Daniel bowed down. He's writing, he's writing prophecy. God trusts him with his prophecy. I don't think he's worshiping idols. I don't think he's double-minded. I think he's away to attending to affair of the state or he's on, he's off somewhere where he's not subject to it, which also makes me think that's what makes uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego uh, vulnerable because Daniel's absence. Um, but, but it sounds very idiomatic to me of the church. All right. Even though he's a Jewish boy, I think it's very idiomatic of the church, uh, because the church, you know, is removed before and not subject to the tribulation. You know, they're not, we're not necessarily having to be sealed because we were caught up with God. He says, does come up here. And we were like, all right, here I come. <laughs> Suck me on up. I want to go take me. I do not have to stay here for this. I don't want to be present, you know, all that stuff. So I think Daniel is a type or an idiom of, of the church in, in this and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego are a type of the 144,000. We see Nebuchadnezzar, who I think is a type of this world leader. We're talking about this beast, this antichrist. Um, and I think that that gives us an interesting look, a foothold into what happens. And then we also see Christophany happen in, um, in theology. We, we, we pin the word Christophany is when Jesus shows up before his time. That's why I like to say Jesus is always on time or he's early. He shows up before his time because he's walking down, he's walking around down, um, in the fiery furnace, protecting the boys. Um, they look and they see the fourth, but when they get ready to pull them out, there's only three. I think that we see, we see Jesus show up before his time. All right. Moving right along. Verse 16, back in revelation. And he causeth all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. Now, this mark is a brand or a seal. This mark is not about you. Because I know a lot of us are paranoid, myself included, about, you know, putting chips on the inside of you and them tracking you. You know, is the mark your cell phone? Is the mark your, um, because, you know, you're going to pay with your mark and we can pay with our phones now. Um, I know when debit cards and credit cards came out, they were like, oh, it's numbers. And the church was like, oh, we ain't getting a credit card because that ain't like Satan. That ain't like the Lord. And like, I still know people who don't have them. It's crazy, right? Um, but I know a lot of people, they had a problem with that cause it was numbers on the card, all of that stuff. Um, but, but I want you to think about this is that this mark is a brand or a seal, um, that they got it on their right hand or on their, um, or on their forehead. But to the Jew, this is illegal. Okay. In Leviticus 19, 28 and 21:5, for a Jew to have a mark or a brand on his body, is illegal, which tells me, um, that if Jews will follow the law, they can remain sealed. But the thing is, is over time, they've become looser and looser, kind of like we have in the church, become looser and looser, but see, they're bound by law. And if they would follow the law, 
they'd be all right. Now, will they? That's the real question. All right, verse 17. And that no man may buy or sell or save he that have the mark or the name of the beast or his name. Technology has made this so possible today that if you don't have certain things, if you don't have a phone, you don't have certain things, you can't buy it. It's, it's becoming more and more possible for them to say that you cannot trade if you don't have X, Y, or Z. Um, but I also, I want to say this again, it's not about your number, but it's about his number. All right. So it's not necessarily about technology. It's not the technology that's the problem. It's the problem is taking on the identity of the beast. It's taking his identity. It's not about numbers that identify you, but it's about taking on his identity, his persona, and in a, in a form of worship um, and, and identifying yourself. You know, uh, there's a group here uh, down here that they call it identity in Christ. Um, we, which, which works to help you build, see how God, see yourself, how God sees you. Um, but I think this is more about taking on the, the persona and the identity of the antichrist. Again, there goes his rip off. Ain't that something? All right. Verse 18. Here is wisdom. Let him that have understanding count the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. And his number is 600. Three score and six. Now I want y'all to notice this. This is now this is about to blow you, cause it blew me. Goliath was six cubits high. He had a six shock spear, and his he had six pieces of honor, armor. Nebuchadnezzar's image was sixty cubits high and six cubits wide. If you put all the numbers to thirty, if you add all the numbers to thirty six, you get six six six. That's six square. Um. In the Greek, the three letters that make this up are the first and the last letter of Christ's name with a serpent in between. Now, check it, and then if you want to see it, check it in your interlinear Bible on the Septuagint. Okay. Gamatria has a, a, a numerical value for each letter. All right. They use this in both the Hebrew and in the Greek. The numerical values were used in their linguistic coding, okay? The ancient scribes used this to check their copying if the numbers added up uh, to the end of the page and they would move on. If, if, if it differed, they, uh, they would start over. Um, but when they when it go in here and they type up this, this Antichrist, it always comes out 666. Yuck, okay? Now, we can take a constructive study of the book of Revelation, um, And the wise way to go about that would be to get a concordance and track down each idiom. So a lot of scholars do this uh, until they get, get to this very place. And instead of tracking down everything, they go to TV and they go to news. They're trying to speculate who this guy is. Okay. Now, all throughout the, all throughout the canon, all throughout this book, we've been taking a concordance. That's how we've been coming to the, the conclusions. When, when, I, when we, we're calling out all these scriptures and we, we're tracking stuff down, we've taken a concordance and we have gone and we've looked at where else in the Bible does this come up. But all the time when we get to this place, they start talking about the 666, they start talking about this guy, they start looking at the news, who could this guy be? Well, does that make sense? That doesn't make sense. Doesn't make sense to me. All right. Now I want you to notice this, 666 only appears in scripture twice. And each time it appears, it's in the salary of Solomon. Mm. And Solomon, ironically, he was the first king to introduce idolatry to Israel. And remember that the reason we don't see Dan sealed is because of idolatry. Remember the, remember the 12 tribes? And somehow Dan was missing, but that's normally not the tribe that's missing. But we don't see Dan because Dan is, is guilty of idolatry. Now, I want you to notice this, that every time his salary is mentioned, we're talking about Solomon, it appears in the incident of a visit from the Queen of Sheba. Mm. That's crazy, right? Mm. So maybe she's the reason that he went left. Who knows? I don't know. I wasn't there. Now, I also want you to think about this. The seal of David has no linkage until, to David until 1600 A.D. Okay. David was way before then, like thousands of years before then. But the seal of David, that star that they, they watch, has nothing to do with him. It was actually, it wasn't originally a sign of God at all. It was a sign of the Jews, Jewish occult. I've been telling y'all to stay away from the occult, remember? Um, but they would put it on there to try to prevent miscarriages. Now, ain't that crazy? Come on now, that's that's crazy. You, you the Jewish also, like all of these witch and soothsayers, are trying to prevent miscarriages. So y'all represent death. 
but you're going to try to present, prevent death or putting a symbol on you. Anyway, <laughs> move on. Now what you think about it, it's a six-sided, six-pointed star. And it wasn't originally called the, sh- the, um, the Shield of David. It was called the Shield of Solomon because Solomon introduced idolatry, which is probably why there's a Jewish occult in the first place because how could y'all be worshipers of God and be of the occult? Sounds like Lady said to me. Um, <laughs> and this is just, you know, come on. But, but I mean, I just want y'all to see, see this, this, these ironies. Now, there is only one physical description of the Antichrist mentioned in the entire canon of Scripture. It's in Zechariah 11. All right. Now, for out of these verses, he's, he's talking about the good shepherd. And then he starts, he shifts his focus almost instantly to this false shepherd. Now, he's talking about the good, good shepherd. Can you remember, imagine talking about how good God is, and all of a sudden he shifts his focus. All right. And he starts shifting his focus in around verse 15. He says, And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee the, yet the instruments of the foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land, which shall not visit those that be cut off. Neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that it, that is broken, nor feed that standeth still. But he shall eat the flesh of the fat, and tear their claws in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. And the sword shall be upon his arm, and upon his right eye. His arm shall be clean, dried up, and his right eye shall be utterly darkened. There we go again with a head wound on his right eye. He's got one blinded eye. The people will take that mark over their right eye on the arm because he want to be like him. He's got, he's got a messed up arm and he's got a messed up eye. And so we see them taking that mark, mm, taking that mark so that they can be like this guy that has wowed them, roused them and made them believe again. How tragic is it to believe again, but to believe in the wrong thing? Oh, how tragic. That's tragic, isn't it? Hmm. It's tragic. Well, guys, that's Revelation 13. That's Revelation 13. Don't. I just want to encourage you of this. Is that there are some nasty pieces here. But if you are saved, you're good. Because you're not going to even have to worry about being here. Which is important that you make sure that your salvation is sure. Make sure that you believe in your heart what you say. Okay? Because sometimes I think we allow doubt to creep in or we we start trying to dip and dive into other things. Make sure that your salvation is sure and you have nothing to worry about. But if your salvation is not sure, we need to have a conversation. Until next time, I'm Reverend Kojo and this has been Bible School.